You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Tracking the Storm podcast, slightly less reliable than Lord Stanley's Warehouse. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of the Tracking the Storm podcast. My name's Brandon. That is my co-host, Matt. And tonight, we are excited to finally have a decent person from Ottawa on the podcast. And that is from Puck Preps and Smart Scouting, Jordan Millette. Jordan, thank you so much for taking the time to come on here and talk a little puck with us. We're excited to have you. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Well, obviously, we are a Canes-centric podcast, so we are going to get into some Canes news. We're going to get into some draft stuff. We're just going to talk about all the fun things. We do have a couple fun tournaments going on right now, um, like the World Juniors. Is the Holinka going on right now, too? The Holinka just ended, like, okay. right before this. Yeah, to be honest with you, I have not paid any attention to Clearly. I'm so damn busy with moving, and I mean, just everything else. It's like I my hockey schedule has been... Very brief right now, but, you know, we'll start with the draft. We know you're a big fan of a few of the Hurricanes draft picks. So, who was your favorite pick from the Hurricanes draft? We'll start there. Yeah, I mean, I have to say Gleb, um, especially considering where they got him at pick 60. Uh, For me personally, after pick 30, at any point, I would be slamming the table for Gleb. So, after Brad Lambert was gone, it was... Okay, pick 31, Gleb, 32, Gleb, and just go <laughs> so on and so on until he was finally taken. Um, he was just way too good for the MHL this year, highly creative, highly skilled, has a killer shot. Um, and it's just in a draft class that was probably lacking some of that high-end boomer bust sort of guys. He's probably the epitome of he could really boom if everything goes right with him. So at pick 60, I think it's a home run swing and definitely worth the risk because um, you can get quite the player out of him. So he was one of my favorites this season. And yeah, at, again, at Pitt's pick 60, like, I don't think you could do any better than that. Well, it, it really does seem like the Hurricanes, like, MO at this point, so, right? It's like they always seem to find these guys that just, for whatever reason, fall below the cracks. And, and like, without a first-round pick, to your point, like, this is a draft that didn't maybe have the depth some of them do of, like, legit top six type forwards. And to get a goal scorer and just offensive creator of his caliber at that you know, juncture of the draft. It's typical Canes, right? Yeah. So by my list, um, they got two guys that I had in the first round. Like I would have taken Grudina in the first round as well. Um, or, or I guess I should say he was in my top 32. Um, it was always the game of when could you get him as late as possible because he was someone that was probably going to drop and slip through the cracks. 
Um, but in terms of best 32 players available, Gurdini was definitely there um, in that top list with Gleb. So to get two players of that caliber outside the first round um, at picks, what, 60 and 150 something, that's just incredible. So uh, yeah, once again, the Canes just hit some home run swings and hopefully it all works out for them. Jordan mentioned that it was a pretty, you know, light draft on the high upside, you know, but maybe low floor type players like Gleb. Um, I mean, it's, it's true. You know, Jordan, we, we kind of had a joke that like Nathan Gaucher and Tristan Luno were both very boring players that we probably wouldn't have selected as high as they ended up going in the draft because, you know, the gains, I mean, it's always their MO is to draft high upside players that other teams tend to shy away from, you know, so it's not surprising that other teams elected to go for like the quote safer picks, which is why I'm happy that Carolina drafts the way they do. Yeah. It doesn't seem like that's their draft philosophy and searching for the guys who will just play games. Um, And that's kind of how I think about the draft as well is you can get those guys in free agency. You, you draft the guys who can potentially play high in your lineup. And then in free agency, you go look for the guys to fill out the depth roles. So yeah, that seems to fit with what Carolina's thinking and just keep swinging. And if one of these guys every year hits, you're going to always have these top end guys um, filling out the top of your lineup. And then you can look elsewhere for your third pair and your fourth line forward slots. That's such a good point though. It's just like how much of a dime a dozen are these bottom six players. It's like, you can get them pretty much anywhere but, you know, teams continue to take players that you're like, oh, well, maybe he'll be a third line, fourth line player down the road. And he's got just as much bust potential as a guy that maybe gets drafted in the first round. Right. And in some cases, not all. That's like Boston. The way Boston drafts is like, let's take this guy that hits like a freight train and may play on our fourth line someday. Looking at you, John Beecher. <laughs> yeah, you're just setting the bar really low and. Like, especially when we're talking late in the draft, like you have nothing to lose. So swing away and um, yeah, hit, try to hit those swings. Those guys will be the difference makers because yeah, if you find a fourth rounder or sorry, a fourth liner in the seventh round, I don't think you're laughing, but if you find a guy that can play in your second line, in the seventh round, like, yeah, you're laughing because you didn't spend anything to acquire him. So um, yeah, always make those swings. So, um, you know, obviously the, Halinka tournament just wrapped up where um, it's the first real look at some of the top uh, players from a whole variety of countries, obviously with uh, Russia not participating, the maybe level of competition in the Halinka wasn't as impressive this year, but you know, you've got Canada steamrolling over everybody, a couple guys on the USA um, standing out, but I, I know that you watched a lot of the games at this tournament. So can you tell us some about like early favorites heading into this class? Yeah. So I watched both the U S and Canada, like selection camps as well, like before the team was made. Um, so I followed them all throughout, um, throughout the selection process and then watched most of their, their play at the tournament. Um, I really liked, it's going to be all WHL guys, Matt. So, um, <laughs> yes. Uh, like Caden, Caden Price to me was somebody that uh, I just really loved. I always loved defensemen who just excel at exiting the zone and can make those like, like solve all the problems that come their way, make that first outlet pass and just everything just flows so smoothly through them. So like he was an early favorite of mine, Zach Benson. I don't need to tell you about him, but 
just the, the mobility, the skating, the playmaking with him, just he's going to be a super fun player to watch this year. And if you want to ramble about Benson, go ahead. Yeah. So Zach Benson played on a line with Connor Geeky, who was drafted 11th overall this year. And uh, it was Mikey Milne, right? M- Mikey Milne was usually the other guy on that line. And uh, Benson as a, 16 year old was probably the best player on the ice at any given moment and looked like the best player on his team most of the time when he was playing like we talked about Matthew Savoy having the speed the creativity you know the goal scoring ability the elite playmaking and hockey sense Benson's that but better and it's uh, really fascinating to watch him play because like you know, while Savoy was really good this past year, Benson could be better. And we're talking about a guy that could easily go top five and maybe even be like top line 60, 70 point guy. Yeah, I mean, he was definitely the same way at the Halinka. Just every time he was on the ice, he was controlling all the play and it was flowing through him. So to do it at that level is also impressive outside the WHL. Um, other players on Canada, Callum Ritchie was phenomenal just controlling everything all the play through went through him and uh, exceptionally good at controlling the puck and just he was just like a guy that they could not nobody could stop so he was an early favorite of mine um the americans were a little bit disappointing i guess they had an early exit and i think played for fifth place and may have won that game but uh william whitelaw was a player that i fell in love with in the early days of the selection camp uh he's just a small little guy that zips around and does all these like game breaking dangles and like all the highlight reel stuff that just um catches your eye sometimes it doesn't really result to much but there definitely is that game breaking ability that's a ton of fun so the rest of the american teams there was some guys but uh white law was the main one that i was excited about but uh it does seem like a good year for the whl so you can be happy matt well, and I also did hear that Quentin Musty, who was the first overall pick in the OHL draft a little while ago, I heard that he was actually pretty disappointing in that tournament. Um, like, um, I was listening to Corey Pronman on the Athletic Hockey Show the other day, and he was like, Quentin Musty was not good. He probably went from being a guy that was like a bubble end of the first round type to being out of the first round conversation early on. Yeah, yeah, I I kind of felt similarly. I really liked him in the selection camp because um, he was not trying to do too much. He wasn't this, I come in, I'm the best guy, I'm going to try to do everything. It was really like, I'm going to make quick, smart decisions, move it to my teammates, and he was really effective. But in the tournament, it felt at times, especially when they were trailing, there was a lot of, I'm going to try to do everything myself, and mm-hmm. that backfired a lot on him. So. Uh, the skills there and he can do some fun, fun things with the puck, but definitely needs to pick his spots better on when he tries to take over games because it definitely did not go in his way and resulted in a few goals against for his team. So I think he just, he's skilled and, uh, and really needs to just pick his decisions better, I guess is the main thing for me, but um, yeah, he didn't have the best tournament, especially for a first overall OHL pick. It just kind of seems like the, the WHL for whatever reason has been, developing players at a better rate than both of the other two leagues at this point. Cause I mean, if you look at it last year, the QMJHL, their first player wasn't picked until, uh, Gaucher. 
Gauthier, and he was what in the twenties? Twenty-two, yeah. Shane Wright obviously went fourth from the OHL, but can't really think of who went after him. Minchikov. Oh, okay. That's it, I believe, for first rounders. Jesus. So, and then you know the dub obviously had Savoy, Gigi, Krachinski, Pickering, who Jordan and I never really liked. Uh, Schaefer. Oh, Reed Schaefer was at the end of the first round. Yeah. You didn't, I don't think. Did you say Denton? Oh, and D- Denton, White Pony, Matejchuk. <laughs> Fergus could have been a first rounder. Fergus, so he'll be the yeah. honorable mention. Right. So, I mean, it was just the the WHL seems to at least have like the more exciting players, like the high end guys, and it seems like in this draft, especially based on the Holinka early on that's what we're looking at and even you know i don't think he was playing for team usa but grayson sachin's another guy that uh could possibly sneak into the top 50 discussion this year yeah the ohl has it might be a little bit more of an exciting year this year with like richie and cam allen um there's another guy i'm forgetting his name that's good um but it looks like their crop might be a bit stronger this year so that's promising the Q, I believe, Ethan Goche, uh, and Tyler Petal didn't make the team, but he's decent. But yeah, it doesn't seem like it'll be a strong year for the Q again. So it's going to be WHL dominance, but I think a better year for Canada as a whole than last year. Yeah, probably a lot of that's to do with, you know, the fact that these kids have actually been playing again, you know? Yeah, I, I'm curious how long this COVID missing a season will will impact these players because at least in Ontario like everybody from lower lower levels missed hockey as well right and whereas I'm assuming the Alberta and Saskatchewan minor hockey leagues kept going through that but um so yeah, I don't know if that has anything to do with it or it's just luck that WHL has been dominating the past couple of years but um hopefully Ontario catches up and my region's more exciting in, in future years <laughs> right otherwise you're gonna have to start crossing the border into uh, yeah will into anybody think of will anybody think of me in all of this right right but how can we make this about Jordan and the Leafs and, and the Leafs? Right, right, right. Or in your case, the Sens. Yes. The Sens. Sorry. I was ordering food by the way. No, that's fine. <laughs> uh, what, what are you ordering? Uh, I got PF Chang's man. There's one like right uh, by my house. Apparently. It, you don't have that up here in Canada. Is that any good? It oh. is. It's okay. It's, 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 it's like, like Chinese food. I was going to say it's like Chinese food if you want to spend more money on it. <laughs> right. But it actually is good. Like, it's quality. It's not like your takeout place. That's our, that's our, that's our food debate for the podcast. Is P.F. Chang's is really worth it. Well, I wasn't going to leave it all on here, but I guess I should. I'm just going to edit it out. But, you know. <laughs> right. Well, you know. All right. So we're going to move on to the resumption. Resumption? Is that a word? Yeah. Okay. Okay. The resumption of the 2021 World Juniors. Uh, I think there've only been a handful of games played so far. Maybe one for each team or something like that. Um, so, what are your early takeaways or just things you want to watch out for for the tournament? I know that you know you may not have even seen too much yet, but I know there's some really enticing players there. Obviously, Connor Bedard up with Canada. Um, who are you most looking forward to watching as the World Juniors resumes? Yep, I'd say Connor Bedard is easy number one on that list. Um, it's tough because all, a lot of the players have refused to to play in this tournament, right? So there's a lot of the players that have said, no, I want to focus on uh, making my NHL team or not getting injured or whatever the case may be. So it's kind of an awkward tournament with some players playing and others not. But 
Um, yeah, Connor Bedard. I really love Luke Hughes, so I believe he's playing. He's somebody that I always like watching. Um, there's no, I don't think there's any Canes, too many Canes guys on here. Seely, Ronan Seely, Vili Koivinen, Alexi Himasalmi, mm. and oh, Nikita Kwap. <laughs> right. Who had 45 <laughs> saves on 50 shots last night. 35 on 50? 45. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I thought he actually played well. And <laughs> an assist. 15 goals. Oh, hell yeah. I, I, yeah, I mean, I didn't watch it, but I, everything I saw on Twitter was it sounded like he was kind of by himself out there, which is kind of yeah. Big. Germany is not very good, right? I would have been. I believe Scott Morrow was on the U.S. team, but I think he's somebody that pulled out of this event. So he got I would have, hurt. I is he hurt? Say. Okay. Yeah, he got hurt um, in Kane's development camp. Actually, it's like yeah. one of those things where he he's going to be out for like. He might honestly be healthy right now, but he missed the USA camp and you know how USA hockey is. They, they want to be the miracle on ice team every year. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a tough event. I don't think there's that much, too much interest in it right now. Like I think the attendance was low for that first couple games and like the eight hundreds or something silly like that. So it's a, it's a tough sell in August to care about a tournament that was six months ago or eight months ago or whatever it was with the best players not playing so personally i'm not playing that close attention but um it always is fun to have extra hockey around and watch some of the top players compete against each other so i don't know about you matt if you're following the canes guys in this event uh no i I went out for for drinks (laughs) last night and uh missed the finland game uh thanks for the invite bud for for what it's worth, it was with a it was with um one of Elise's family members, so it would have been weird if we invited you. <laughs> um, so we we ended up missing the Finland game, but it was against Denmark, so I was like, ah, I can kind of miss that and be okay with it. And then I, I Tommy had a couple of assists at least, right? Yeah, he had two secondary power play assists. I want to say so, like you know, okay, great, you did it against Denmark, though, like. You should be doing that against Denmark. Um, and from what I heard, I have not gotten a chance to watch it. From what I heard, Quap was really good and then let in a few stinkers last night. Um, even if he didn't let in those goals, like Germany still would have lost because the USA's attack is just relentless. And it's quite literally Nikita Quap just fighting for his life out there. <laughs> Uh, Germany may only have one or two other drafted players on their team um, because I know um, the Edmonton pick, the defenseman, I can't think of his name, uh, Munzenberger missed last night's game, which would have given them like one quality defenseman. I was going to say, I like Munzenberger. He's looked pretty good in the times I've seen him. Yeah, and he was... He was great uh, in the couple games that Germany did play in the December tournament that was postponed. Um, But the only other drafted players are Maximilian Zuber, the Polish guy that was drafted, who apparently plays for Team Germany somehow. Uh, And Hakan Hanelt, who plays in the queue. Well, the shame of all that is like, the German team was supposed to be pretty damn good. And then, you know, they had like Reichel and a couple other guys, right? Like actual decently high drafted players. When the Reichel, I think Paterka opted out. I uh, 
think those were the only big names that, that would have been available to them, right? Is Stutzel still technically eligible? Is he, was he not that same draft? Or am I getting the years you know what? Up? He was. He was 2020. So he, he technically could be. Yeah. Yeah, because this is the last year's tournament. So yeah, he would have been eligible, but there's no fucking way. <laughs> yeah, he's he's preparing for a cup run. I was ah uh, 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 yeah. Mm. All right. You got Alex to bring it, and then all of a sudden you're you're, you're, they you're got talking. Giroux. They got who? Didn't they get Giroud too? Oh, they did. <laughs> you're making me second guess myself even on that, like stuff I do. I was gonna say. Uh, we're still we're still licking our wounds from Pacioretty tearing his uh, Achilles yesterday. So. Dude, that's so fucking typical. I don't know. Anyways, we'll get to that in a bit. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want to take up too much of Jordan's time, though, because I'm sure he has other things to do tonight. And so, Jordan, this is obviously the time where you get to talk about what you do, plug anything you have coming up, maybe say something about the Senators. We'll allow it just this once. Yeah, I mean, the Sens moves have been exciting, so I'm looking forward to a good season. But in terms of me personally, uh, my focus will be mostly on at puck preps on the OHL draft upcoming. Uh, so a lot of coverage there on the, the next crop of kids for the OHL. And um, also at SMOT, I'll be working again on the NHL draft profiles for the, the O and the Q. So both those things can be found at, on my Twitter at Jordan Millette. So follow me there if you're interested in anything I've said today. I'm, didn't make a fool of myself so i'm happy about that uh, i got that covered myself <laughs> i was gonna say brandon is has a just stranglehold on the making a fool of himself market today <laughs> so you're all good well jordan thanks again for coming on we appreciate you and uh yeah I, I i wish i could say best of luck to the sends but i'm sorry <laughs> that's okay we have a huge sicko army that'll that'll that's all we need but uh, yeah thanks for having me <laughs> All right, guys, we are going to move on to some Canes news here. We actually did have quite a bit this week. Um, But first, Tracking the Storm is a proud part of the Hockey Podcast Network, so we are going to take just a quick minute and get a word from DraftKings. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, and you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code THPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See the show notes or wherever you get our podcast for some important details. And we're back. Oh, Brandon. This was a, like, a week of highs and lows for the Hurricanes. So, like, on one hand, right, you've got the uh, LeJoie signing. So everybody's like, oh, okay, that's the last arbitration case. So the Canes buyout window's open. So there's a high from that. Then there's the rumor, and then eventually it gets confirmed that Natchez signs a really good deal at two uh, years, $3 million per year. And then it all comes crashing down last night. (laughs) 
uh so i guess like tuesday night as we're uh talking about this tuesday night max pacioretty undergoes surgery for a torn acl and he's out a minimum six months which is just brutal luck the canes finally get like an elite goal scorer and it's like well yeah he's had those injury issues but even if he like you know doesn't miss a ton of time it'll still be great boom he's out for over half the year (laughs) yeah i I know this is it's tough man i mean (laughs) it was such an exciting deal like the hurricanes are finally getting the elite goal scorer they've needed for so long but i mean this was the concern with him right it's like his injury history has been pretty significant at this point especially in the last few years and lo and behold like it's like the dude from spongebob he's like i was born with glass bones and paper skin you're not lying man um it's rough and and, i mean interesting timing though because with the natchez deal coming like you know pretty much at the same time you know he, he was pretty much projected to a bottom six role right and now it's like well now you need him to step up and take that big step forward that the hurricanes kind of hope he's going to right like now a slide opens up or an opportunity opens up for him to actually become a top six player again and the hurricanes are really going to need him to take that step along with guys like jarvis continuing to improve and andre svechnikov now i think he you know barring another move coming he needs to be the guy like the guy that he's always been capable of being um obviously last year was a nice step for him Hopefully this year it becomes an even bigger one. I, I do kind of want to see how they navigate the rest of the offseason. I mean, do you try to get another guy now? Like, do you think the Hurricanes are just going to kind of roll with the roster as is? Because when you think about it, they've lost Niederreiter and Trocek, but it's like, okay, cool. They got Kasha and Pacioretty. Well, now you're going to spend over half a year without Pacioretty and you're still down those guys. So that becomes probably the most intriguing storyline of the rest of the offseason for me. It's like, I, I'm really curious to see what they're going to do here, especially with their lack of cap space. If they the reports from today are true and they don't plan on putting them on LT long-term injured reserve, then you really don't have that many options anyway unless you get rid of Jake Gardner's contract. But I don't know. It's going to be a really interesting offseason from this point because a lot of the moves are already kind of done, you'd think. Um, the, the hot time of the offseason is kind of passed, but obviously it doesn't mean deals can't get done. But, you know, it, it, I just – I'll be very curious to see what Waddell's plan is moving forward. So hear me out. Phil Kessel. You know, I've seen that a couple of times and I'm just like. He had. So I pulled up his elite prospects. He had eight goals in 82 games, which is not very good. But then he had 44 assists. So he on that Arizona Coyotes team, he had 52 points. Right. And I mean, the season before he had 20 goals in 56 games, like his, his tenure with Arizona has not been great, but he's in fucking Arizona right? with Pittsburgh. So he was in Pittsburgh for four years. Look at his goal totals, 26 goals his first year, 23, the next year, 34 in 2017, 18, and then 27. Yeah. He had 92 points. In 2718, this is a guy he's hit 30 plus goals six times in his career. Another six times he's been over 20 goals. So 12 seasons, he's scored at least 20 goals. 
Right. And then he had a couple years where he scored 19 in 2007 and then 11 in 2006 as a rookie. But like since breaking into the league, really since Arizona, since he was before he was traded to Arizona, Phil Kessel was a consistently great player. Yeah. And he still maintained a level of quietly good hockey while playing on arguably the worst NHL team we've ever seen <laughs> outside of an expansion team. I'm sorry. These Arizona Coyotes are not good. And the only reason why they may have won some of the games that they did is because they play in a terrible division. Right. I mean, yeah. Um, I, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> like I'm They ran Phil Kessel out of Toronto after he put together, no joke, Four of Castle's six seasons with the Maple Leafs, he scored 30 or more goals. Yeah. The last season he was there, he had 25. Somebody tell me why this is a bad move for the Hurricanes. Why would this be a bad move for the Hurricanes? No, I I really don't think so. I was, you know, a second ago kind of trying to play devil's advocate and come up with a good reason. You know, he's older. Yeah, he's you know, maybe dropping production a little bit, at least in the goal scoring department, which is what the Hurricanes need now. But at the same time, like, you can't really expect him to go out and now add like a Vlad Tarasenko or somebody crazy like that. Like, it's just not really plausible. So I I think that actually could be a good option. And I'd be game. Totally. And here's, here's the other thing. It's like, with acquiring Tarasenko, you're probably spending premium assets on a guy that's going to walk after a year. Yeah. Like, he's a UFA this upcoming summer. Right. And I can't see any team wanting to trade for him until we get maybe to the deadline. Because, A, his cap hit. And, B, St. Louis is like, well, we're not going to trade him if we're not going to get NHL players. Like, we're in the playoff hunt, you know? Right. Yeah, they're not a bad enough team. I'm not giving up, like, a first-round pick and Scott Morrow plus for a year of Vladimir Tarasenko. Yeah, I'm no, sorry. That's not good business at all. But the flip side Whereas of that is if you could sign Phil Kessel for like, I don't know, four and a half, five million dollars for a year or two. Hell yeah, I'm doing that. Right. Kessel's well, a free agent. You can get him for actual free. Like it costs you nothing but the salary cap to do this. Right. And it's like taking a look at cap friendly real quick, just pulling up the other unrestricted free agents obviously Kadri is rumored to be signing somewhere the only other winger that I could see Paul Stasny but he's 36 yeah Evan Rodriguez might not be terrible but he's not going to be that goal scoring player if anything he's like a middle six player and the Canes have got tons of those he does have a sneaky good shot though I remember watching him and they he's he's a good hockey player I'm shocked that Pittsburgh didn't bring him back but like Right. Really, the only options for the Carolina Hurricanes right now, just in my opinion, Phil Kessel, Paul Stasny. Some people are saying Sonny Milano. I'm not sold on him. Mm. And Evan Rodriguez. Those are the four guys that I would realistically think about signing. And I don't think you can get, if you can get Phil Kessel at a reduced cap hit, that's a no brainer. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, The biggest shame of this, you know, hopefully they are able to make a move like that and then still add Pacioretty, you know, by the all-star break or around the all-star break. 
but this, this is a conversation that we've already kind of started to pop up and have a little bit. It's like, if you look at the books for the next couple of years for the hurricanes, their window, I'm not going to say it's going to close in two years, but there is a lot of uncertainty coming up after two years from now. Cause I mean, hell, I can't even remember who, who all of it is off the top of my head, but Natchez, Aho, Teravainen, Jarvis, Shea, and Pesci. And there may be like one or two more. Right. Okay. So at a minimum, you're bringing back, you're losing two guys at, at absolute, yeah. at absolute work. There's no way I, I would say Shea and probably either Teravainen or Natchez. One of those two guys, I, I, it's going to be hard. I mean, think about it. The Hurricanes are already pretty much pressed up against the cap. And I know you get some relief from guys like Stahl. Um, Pacioretty will obviously be off the books at that point. But, I mean, even, even I think Slavin's the year after that. And I feel Slavin's like the year after that. at some point you might have to give him a little bit of money, probably. I don't know. Hard to say. Um, but, you know, it, it's just it, – that's when things get interesting. And who knows? Maybe somebody's like, I don't know, the Hurricanes aren't winning cups. Maybe I can go win somewhere else. Like, you don't, you don't know how this is going to play out. The point is the Hurricanes really need to make good on these next couple of years and do something big, in my opinion. So I have, I have a source of optimism here, and it, it's a small one, or two, actually. So for one, Gary Bettman has pretty much said this is the last year where the cap won't go up. Right. Or it, it's the last year where we'll see, like, a small increase in the cap. Like, this next offseason, the cap should grow by at least, like, a decent amount. Yeah. Maybe not, like, $4 million like we've seen in the past, but, like, maybe, like, two or three. That's a little bit more wiggle room. And then you have to think it would continue the next season after that to give the team more space. Right. Secondly, Jordan Stahl, there's no way he's going to be making anywhere close to $6 million after this season. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a huge, like Jordan Stahl may, may be making half of that because of how old he is. And just, you know, I don't know how long he's going to be playing, but like, there's there's a small chance that his contract's totally off the books by 2024. Yeah, that's true. So that's a small, small piece of optimism. But like the cap situation is eventually going to be alleviated. Like Tara Vinen probably is going to want a decent amount of money, which is why I'm like, if Nate just proves to himself or proves himself in these next two years, Maybe you don't need Terravina as much. Natchez is still only 23. Um, in theory, he could very well fill that role, but like, well, I don't know. It's hard to say. It's there Terravina does so much defensively too, and that's like the biggest thing. It's like Natchez's defensive game would have to go a long way to actually replicate what Terravina is, like all around. So that's a you know, bridge we'll cross when we come to it. But, you know, I, I did want to throw in here, like, the one sort of source of optimism I have for this whole Pacioretty situation, I actually wrote this in a little just quick article I put out earlier today. It's just, at least it happened now and not, like, December. Because, you know, you got that six-month recovery time, then you got him coming back, what that would put him, like, the Eastern Conference Finals, if the Hurricanes were to get there and then he's coming in cold, like at least this situation allows him to get the surgery, which apparently happened today, you know, start to roar to recovery and then 
you actually have a few games for him to get acclimated before the postseason starts. Actually, a good chunk of games. You know that that should only be like probably like the fifty-five-ish game mark of the season. I think, or I think the All Star break somewhere around like what fifty games. Um, so that'll still leave him at least like 25, 30 games, if not a few more to hopefully get reacclimated and, and be really good to go by the time the postseason rolls around. Yeah. And I mean, the way the Canes might look at it is like, look, our roster is good enough as it is to be a playoff team without sure. Pacioretty. Adding Pacioretty at the all-star break is like an, a deadline acquisition. Like a big deadline acquisition. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I mean, even beyond that it's like this does if he so chooses you know it is still the offseason he Don Waddell does have time to go ahead and see if he can find some kind of replacement like a Phil Kessel where right. I mean he was he even said today apparently that like teams have been calling him since the news broke and I'm mean, like why wouldn't you you know if you're a team that's like hey I've got you know bad contract here you want to take it <laughs> you know like this guy scored 20 goals at one point but I think that the Canes are going to be smart about it. They may not, they may decide to do nothing. They may just kind of elect to go with what they have right now and have that be good. You know, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, but I'm confident in this front office to know. I mean, hell, at the end of the day, they got Patch already for free. And the conspiracy theory that he was hurt before here is stupid. <laughs> And the people pushing that conspiracy theory have zero wrinkles on their brain. It's entirely smooth. So, anyways. I, I mentioned it briefly. I mean, the Natchez extension is incredibly fair value. And if he can get up to the Natchez that we saw during the 2020-2021 season, uh, that's fantastic right. for him and the Hurricanes. Yeah, it's a good value for what he is now, and it has the potential to work out extremely well for the Hurricanes. And, I mean, and for him, too, because, you know, he's got two years, and then when, once that's up, if he plays, takes the steps he's capable of taking, then he's going to earn that big contract that a lot of people probably thought he was going to get this year. Yeah, so that's a very positive sign. I'm happy that he's sticking with the team. Folks, I mean, we've said it all along since we started this podcast, and, you know... I feel like people take for granted just how good it is to be a Hurricanes fan right now, right? Like, there's so much positivity surrounding this team. You've got a management that will buy and buy in and make this team as good as they possibly can under the salary cap. They constantly look for ways to get better. They draft exceptionally well. They put a focus on development so that the team even after some of the top guys are leaving there will be better play there will be good players to step up in their absence like folks truly truly it's a great time to be a carolina hurricanes fan 